Welcome to another episode of the DLA Piper Tech Law Series. This forms part of the launch of our European Technology Index 2020. And this is based on sentiments from 350 senior executives from across Europe. I'm delighted today to be joined by Lawrence Wintermeyer. Lawrence, could you, in your own words, introduce yourself to our audience? I'm Lawrence Wintermeyer, the executive co-chair of Global Digital Finance. Global Digital Finance is a not-for-profit dedicated to standards and advocacy in the crypto and digital asset space, has over 200 members, uh, and we include DLA as a patron member and our general counsel in GDF, so it's del delighted to be here. And I know through GDF we speak about a lot of the uh, different elements that are affecting this sector. So you've had a terrific opportunity, I think, to see you know, what is happening across a, a pretty large range of activities. Can I just get a sense from you of, of what you think activity levels are, particularly in light of the, the lockdown resulting from the COVID-19 pandemic? I think, as you mentioned, and we're all aware, this is really an unprecedented uh, time in history. So fintech, as generally with tech and many other sectors, are, are, are pretty vigilant right now. I think it depends really where you are on the funding ladder as a fintech as to uh, how the particular crisis has affected you. Early stage companies have uh, certainly made provisions for uh, additional funding where possible through government schemes like in the UKC bills. Uh, certainly where they're pre-revenue or it ha had issues with revenue, taking advantage of uh, the staff furlough schemes uh, have been some of the things that firms have been looking at. Um, un unfortunately, I think as we've seen in the West Coast broadly with, with tech, particularly in the leisure entertainment sector with Uber, Airbnb, uh, in the European fintech sector, uh, we've seen some layoffs. Monzo and Moniz uh, probably led that. And I think, you know, given we're at the early stages of this crisis and it still ha has a lot uh, really to reveal, uh, we remain vigilant. I think for revenue uh, earning fintechs in the market, it really is a game of, of, of two halves. Uh, in the short term, with all of the excess liquidity uh, in the market through government funding and all of these different schemes, and people being at home, there's been a real bump in the payment space, and particularly in e-commerce, a uh, big bump in crypto as well, in the number of wallets being opened, the volume of retail crypto transactions happening, um, and clearly uh, a bump in alt-fi lending spaces uh, to support some of the government schemes. And, and that's in contrast with uh, some of the other areas, such as uh, you know, the, the challenger banking area, which, which may be a bit challenged uh, by things. Uh, another thing we've seen a bump in is uh, free share trading. And again, I think uh, so many people with time uh, on their hands and, you know, with uh, the excess liquidity that's particularly gone into the stock markets, um, share trading has been pretty popular for the past uh, th three or four months. So, so again, I, I think that uh, we, we need to wait. We're really still at the extended, um, you know, sort of phase of the first wave of, of COVID. Uh, here in Europe, whilst things uh, have recovered and we see uh, the curve has not just been flattened, but we seem to be uh, reducing the number of cases. 
the Americas uh, India and Asia look as if the number of cases are increasing and so it, it really is still early days and and we really really need to remain vigilant it's what we're seeing also that certainly in the, the, the short term um, there is some strain on the sector not surprisingly uh, our survey showed that there was a, a the, the predominant view was in the short term there would be some negative impact on revenues but there certainly seems to be a robustness about the sector uh, there seems to be opportunities that are being created i think in the longer term uh, that the survey the survey certainly pointed to opportunities for the sector going forward uh, so, so maybe it's a picking up on, on why we think that some of these areas may be successful in the in the longer term um certainly our sense was that respondents to the survey suggested that technology provides certain key drivers, predominantly around flexibility, agility, maybe speed to market, opportunity for growth. Do you see through the businesses that you're working with these as key drivers or are there other factors that you are, you're conscious of? My main focus uh, has always been focused on what, what, what job does the technology do? Um, and so I, I think, again, looking at uh, the areas of fintech that have been successful in the crisis, uh, you know, broadly, money is, a, you know, it's at the utility end, as are most of the financial services in, in, in what we do. It's how do I get money? How do I get stuff? How do I get money quicker? And, and so I think uh, certainly moving forward, um, we should pay attention to those services that have the least friction and offer either consumers, corporates or businesses the highest degree of utility and, and, and do a great job. And I think that that broadly is, you know, one of the key success factors in thinking of uh, the underlying technology in, in fintech. Um, are you doing things better? Are you doing the job better? Uh, is it cheaper? Is it easier for me to uh, either access goods, move my money around, buy, sell, trade shares, uh, access debt, uh, you know, invest in equity. And so uh, I, I would certainly keep an eye on that. And, you know, Martin, um, you and I are quite often involved in, in you know, the very technical end of advocacy work in the crypto and digital assets community. And, you know, I see it all of the time. Technologists really, you know, conflate regulation, uh, either social or corporate utility with technology, and it gets jumbled up into some really cool tech and great ideas. But, you know, often we're saying, well, what's the use case? You know, what job does it do? We can see how all of this stuff is great. So I think this is actually heightened now in a global crisis where uh, really, um, you know, surviving the subsequent impact of the fallout of the commercial debt sector, uh, the different sectors that uh, aren't going to fare as well in a crisis, and the consumer impact, the impact on the citizen in the crisis is, is, is key. So, you know, really pay attention to what kind of job it is that you're doing uh, for consumers through this crisis or for businesses. I, I agree entirely. I think in the sense of, you know, it's not focused on the, the tech as such, but it's a focus on, you know, what is it that tech can do in order to improve the, the business model or the business profile or the opportunity to develop businesses with, with customers and, and clients. Um, and that's, I think that's, that's also a focus that I think came through in the questions that, that, that we, we, we put to, to businesses. Um, you know, one of the areas that, that I'm interested in picking up is, is around where 
the greatest opportunities are perceived to be. Um, and interestingly, the, the, the areas that came out top on, on our list were, were really around digital banking, cybersecurity, uh, blockchain, and then probably payments after that. So you, you highlighted payments. And I think in this current period, um, certainly the need to be able to do online transactions and the, the, the efficiency and some of the sort of payments flows is, is absolutely crucial. And so we're seeing that to a certain extent. Uh, but you know, these other opportunities, particularly maybe you know, blockchain and, um, and cybersecurity are kind of coming up in importance. Uh, you know, I'm quite interested to, to press you, particularly on blockchain, because it's, I spend a lot of time in this area, but I get a, you know, there's a lot of criticism as to well, what does blockchain really do? Is it really providing any solutions or, or is it just a technology that we, you know, that's, that, that's out there and people talk about, but it's not really tied into what we were just discussing, customer needs, business opportunities. So again, I'd be interested to, to get your views around you know, where you think the, the main use cases are with regard to some of these, um, uh, some of these, these, these key areas that were highlighted. Interesting, I think, in the survey that neobanking um, hit the top. I, I think that that's trendy, uh, particularly in, in Europe and the UK, where uh, you know, many of the global leaders are, are, are out of the UK, the European stable. Uh, again, uh, I think one of the strengths of uh, European neobanking is that it, it does do a job and it, it does a job a lot easier for customers and is very focused on the engagement with customers and the value add. But again, you know, banking to me and your relationship with the bank, once you've been uh, you know, acquired or you sign up to a new bank broadly performs a, a service for you. And I think those are the areas that the neobanks are really trying to improve for customers, whether it's through, you know, savings, investment, share trading, access to crypto and trading crypto. Uh, many of them are starting to offer consumers something that, you know, possibly their traditional uh, you know, e-enabled banks are not offering. But I'd just like to come back to, to a couple of things. One, the payment space, uh, whether it's blockchain, uh, crypto, or, or digital assets related or not, I think is hugely important. Uh, one, with the rise of open banking and the popularity of open banking, particularly in the UK and Europe. Uh, but two, with the, uh, really with the moves of global stable coins, um, the opportunity to move uh, money around quicker, whether it's within your own uh, community, your own businesses, your own country, or internationally. And then the impact that uh, even the announcement of, of Libra has had, uh, which is setting out to be uh, a global stablecoin, the, the impact that that has had on, on central banks, with central banks now really... Um, playing catch-up to see how they offer, in essence, um, a fiat-backed stablecoin or a, a fiat digital currency. And I think there's just a great recognition that uh, moving money around uh, with the trust and assurance of, of getting the money, um, of, of, of the value of the store value uh, you know, being yours, and, um, you know, the, the, the reduction in any of the friction through uh, the ecosystem, whether that's transferring money through remittance, uh, buying things online, uh, buying things, uh, you know, with 
different devices, whether you're at the point of sale, uh, you're in transit, and, and reducing the complexity of those costs is still one of the biggest things you know, that, that, that I see on, on the horizon, and again, accelerated by, by central banks. But just to, to, to pick up, uh, I think, blockchain for a minute, blockchain is a great uh, example of uh, a very elegant technology uh, that has really for the last decade been uh, looking for viable use cases. And so and there are lots of, of, of different use cases, not least of which is decentralized cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin or, or uh, you know, Ethereum. Uh, but what we're seeing in the financial services sector is the rise of enterprise blockchain. And Cambridge Alternative Finance have got an interesting uh, paper going on the, the rise of enterprise blockchain in the big three, Corda, uh, Ethereum, and Hyperledger, and, and just how that's impacting uh, not just financial services and institutional financial services, uh, but government and broadly government services. And I think the, the key thing about the use cases, again, is that you know broadly, they're in the payments area, helping um, payments or cross-border payments and settlement systems work better. Uh, as you know, they're moving you know, broadly into the uh, securities, um, securities space. So I think we will see if you put aside uh, crypto, digital securities, and, and, and the post-utility token movement that you and I have seen, uh, we're, we're going to see the wholesale uh, re-engineering of the capital markets infrastructure from issue uh, right through to settlement. And, you know, the custodian world, which I always think is the sort of Gordian knot, uh, a lot of the, the, the transactional flow that goes on in, in, in uh, certainly in asset management, uh, we, we'll see all of that solved and, and transformed sometime over the next decade. So I, I would certainly keep my eye on that space. Uh, it's moving much quicker than I think most people really appreciate. And again, I completely agree. I'm working with a number of clients, um, you know, including some of the biggest uh, financial institutions in the world, on looking at how they can safeguard that digital custody piece. And I do think it's an important part of the infrastructure. If, if people have a trust and belief and faith in the security of their assets, then they're much more willing and capable of trusting the system. So uh, these will be big innovations, I think, going forward and, and maybe tie into this concept of, uh, of why we're seeing an opportunity in digital banking and, uh, and payments and, and, and cybersecurity. I think that all, that all ties together, in my view. Um, Maybe I can ask you, maybe some of the challenges. Why don't we look at some of the challenges? Because certainly, whereas the, uh, the, the survey points to a very positive outlook, I think, for the sector, uh, there were still a number of challenges that come up uh, within this area. You know, how to get uh, adoption, how to, to progress with a business model, which is based around a, a technology innovation. Um, why some businesses, although they see the benefit of this, are struggling to implement this into their, their business models. Uh, I mean, not surprisingly, um, in a regulated sector, regulation came up at the top of the list. Uh, now, I know that you have spent a lot of time in the context of, of GDF in working with regulators in 
educating, explaining, trying to create a bridge between, I think, the regulatory system and the, and the business enterprises to enable innovation and development to occur. Can you give us a, a little bit more um, around how you think organizations like GDF can uh, work with businesses and regulators to improve this and maybe your own philosophy generally on, on the importance in, in this space? It's one that, again, um, you know, thanks to your help, we, we're, we're really engrossed in um, and, and to what end. Uh, we're focused on getting uh, industry and particularly industry that's at the forward end of the curve and working with newer technologies uh, that many people don't understand, uh, not, not, not just regulators, um, and jo joining forces with, with, with others to engage uh, with regulators to what I call uh, try to flatten some of the front-end risks of discovery. Um, you know, what, why is this technology so great? What is the use case of this technology and what are the risks of using this technology, particularly in highly regulated financial systems? And the, the, the benefit of that is, is really, uh, again, trying to uh, refine the use case and uh, you know, really see where the benefits are to consumers and, and to businesses and where the risks are to help mitigate the risks in order to give regulators a degree of confidence that a lot of this new technology is actually fit for purpose, is going to do the job, is resilient, um, you know, and is not going to, uh, you know, fall over uh, either in a crisis or, uh, you know, as a result of concentration risks in the system. So, I think, you know, if we were sort of going, you know, from the top and thinking, uh, uh, you know, about it from an executive perspective or uh, about deploying capital, um, you know, my, my favorite position is don't, don't operate in regulated or highly regulated businesses because you need deep pockets. Uh, and there's a great expense with that. And, you know, one of my favorite fintech plays was Global Remittance in that it wasn't huge technological uh, innovation. It was great business model innovation in that it moved money cross-border uh, using the existing infrastructure of incumbents, uh, but was a convenient proposition to consumers uh, because it did it at, at a very low cost, certainly relative to uh, the costs traditional banks were charging you to move money from uh, you know, one country to another at the time. Uh, but, you know, it's great benefit and, and what drove adoption was that it was in, you know, broadly an unregulated space. Uh, if you take some of the areas, you know, Martin, you and I have been focused on, again, in digital assets uh, custody or in, in the cap market side of things, you know, look, um, one, you need to have uh, the, you know, the, the bench and the depth of experience on the bench to understand how to navigate that market. Uh, and I was like Phil Mokin at Coiny, um, you, you know, broadly, uh, you, you know, says you, you need to package your solution uh, for, in this case, capital markets users so that it does uh, exactly what it needs to do and how they operate today, whether they're doing, uh, you know, issuing, uh, whether they're doing custody, uh, whether they're doing secondary markets. It just needs to work as a solution and nobody's interested in the, you know, the underlying technical detail other than, you know, it does the job and it does the job uh, for the user, for the risk compliance, uh, you know, team and ultimately for the end customer, the beneficiaries of the transaction. And, and you know, again, you, you need to, the deeper you go into regulated markets, 
the more money you need to spend on, on, on delivering that degree of assurance. Uh, so I, I think the, you know, the, the biggest and most important uh, thing that we've seen certainly over the past decade in the last cycle is the uh, you know, development of innovation hubs and regulators. Uh, that regulators are open to things like regulatory sandboxes and uh, open to reg tech and, and, and how the, you know, the overall sector is, is, is moving. So I'd always encourage fintechs to join industry associations that uh, have a number of strong programs that, that help them engage uh, with those sort of tools and with a community of uh, professionals or experts who uh, really understand uh, this sort of stuff. And I was struck, Martin, by the feedback um, that we have when we do global summits, uh, you know, often hosted at, at DLA pre-COVID-19. We'd have hundreds of people showing up, uh, you know, for our summits on crypto assets at different places in the world. And someone came up to me and said, boy, boy, this was probably the most beneficial two hours I spent in understanding the complexity of whatever was on the agenda that day. I mean, it'd just be difficult to find access to that information in, in many other communities. So, so uh, you know, as a fintech, particularly being able to hack information from your colleagues, peers, competitors, um, and, and understand where the regulatory, uh, you know, the regulatory trends and tides are moving. Uh, associations like GDF, you know, I certainly feel offer immeasurable benefit. I'd certainly echo your, um, your views on the importance of innovation and an, and an innovative approach and mindset from regulators. One of the things that we saw was that you know, probably there's a more positive view from countries where there is a proactive and innovation agenda amongst regulators. Uh, and certainly my experience working closely with the, the regulator here, the FCA, uh, through the sandboxes and the innovation program has, has been really very positive. Um, a, a real willingness to understand the underlying technology and actually address some of the issues that, that underlie that technology in a regulatory context. You know, how does that new technology operate and work in a safe manner in the context of the existing regulatory system? And, and that kind of positive attitude is, I believe, really important in this time when economies are, are going to be looking at how they develop and grow the economies coming out of the, the COVID-19 pandemic, but, but also in the context of, of Brexit. I very much believe that fintech is not just about some technologies which have been plugged into the financial system or the capital market system. Fintech is about a fundamental change in the way capital markets operate on a global scale. And if we were to put you in the, the DLA Piper time machine and take you to 2030, you know, what do you think you, know, you would be looking back and talking about as some of the fundamental changes that we will see over this uh, you know, these next 10 years? Yeah, and, and you know, I always uh, hate anything other than, you know, risk-adjusted uh, risk predictions in that, you know, most of us get predictions wrong, which, which is human. But if we look at the, I think, the bigger trends that have come out of fintech in the last decade, uh, you know, again, particularly around payments, uh, around... Uh, you know, neobanks or challenger banks. It, it, it is all around the applications from a retail perspective that, uh, you know, take the pain out of a job, 
you know, make it cheaper, make it easier to do, uh, you know, integrate it. it, it integrates into your life. You, you know, you get, you just get it done a lot easier and there's a lot of value to it. Uh, that, that trend is going to continue. So I think the whole, the whole context of the payment space, the lending space, getting money quicker, moving money quicker, um, and how predictive that is in helping you with your own personal finances. I mean, it, it, it staggers me that, you know, broadly, uh, for most people, um, you know, solving uh, the financial planning uh, problem is really a small data problem. Where, where the variance becomes great is that we all, uh, you know, come from different cultural backgrounds. Uh, you know, we all express our choices or do things, uh, you know, differently. Um, you, you know, we, we've got different lifestyles. And so technology is actually pretty good at working all of that stuff out and just saying, you know, for people like you, here are broadly the successful things that have worked for people that, you know, help them manage their finances, uh, help them finance things effect effectively, and then help them accumulate and, 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 you know, grow assets over a lifetime so that you could retire with a pension or you can draw down and, and uh, use money as you need to use it for all the big events in your life, whether you're putting your kids through school or you're, you, you know, you've got family weddings or events or those sort of things. So, you know, I, I certainly think the, you know, the predictive nature of being help, at being able to help people um, in that area over the next decade, we're, we're going to see really big improvements on. But I'll pick up to you, your, your point on, on um, you know, the capital markets. One of the reasons that Simon Taylor and I set GDF up uh, ultimately was we were looking at what was going on in the utility token market, thinking, boy, the industry could certainly use some standards, which, which I, I think is certainly the case. But, you know, broadly, we're both, uh, Simon and I were what we call both long on, 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 on digital. And, and so, again, the wholesale transformation of the cap markets infrastructure, I think, is something that's going on that you and I, again, we've spoken about already, we see. Um, it's actually happening a bit more quietly than people think. Again, blockchain and enterprise blockchain is a big part of that. But why is it important? Well, one, it's making the whole infrastructure much more efficient uh, by really digitizing the whole uh, infrastructure and all of the stakeholders and counterparties and all of the assets on it. It's uh, decreasing the cost and, and certainly the cost of the intermediary cost of of participating on it, rather than disintermediating things. There's still lots of room for different intermediaries who quite often all have a different regulatory role to play in, in the value chain. Uh, but equally, it's making it more accessible. And again, one of the big themes you and I are always focused on is, you know, for example, how do we get capital, um, you know, to areas outside of uh, listed securities in the public markets. Private equity is the, you know, broadly the largest, uh, you know, space on the planet, excluding things like the derivatives market. And it's still hugely inefficient. So how, how are we going to, in the context of new capital formation, you know, get money to all of those companies coming up the innovation curve that uh, aren't in the public markets quicker? So all of those sort of things, I think we will see improve dramatically over the next decade. And that has a lot to do with, you know, the, the replacement of the wholesale infrastructure. So, you know, more than often, I think I'm so focused on, on the, the replacement of the wholesale infrastructure and, and, and making sure that that works well, that 
Uh, what, what I do know is I'm not sure what the products or services are going to look like, but I know that that new platform will offer innovators, um, you know, folks with a lot of capital on their balance sheet, folks that are really interested in DeFi or open finance, that will offer them the opportunity to create all sorts of products and services with a high degree of social or business utility that, that you know, are a bit difficult for me to think about now. But, uh, you, you know, certainly the enablement of the infrastructure in the next decade should really be set uh, and, 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 you know, be poised to create some, some fantastic products and services over the next 25 years. I certainly think that I'll be, uh, be, be, be coding my financial uh, advice and products rather than typing out emails uh, in 10 years time. So I think there will be some big changes that, that, that come. So Lawrence, let me say a, a big thank you for your time. Really fascinating conversation with you here today. Really enjoyed it. And, and thank you on behalf of DLA Piper. Thank you very much, Martin. Always a pleasure to chat and best of luck with the European Technology Index 2020. Thanks.